Hello, thank you for listening to the Avenue GCLC podcast. My name is Christopher Stevens, and I'm the minister at the Avenue G Church of Christ, where we are people of more. We hope that you enjoy and have enjoyed listening to this podcast, where you can find sermons, congregational singing, and talk shows with myself and youth minister Joshua Williams. We pray that the content is a blessing to you, and we hope that everyone listening can join us in person for worship and Bible class. We are located at 601 West Avenue G, Temple, Texas, 76504. And don't forget to visit us online at avegcoc.org. From the people of Moore to you, thank you and God bless. Today is the day that you give God his due praise. Amen. We didn't come here to be angry. We didn't come here to be sad. But we came here to give God praise on this morning. If you're about that life, shout amen. Now, as I still sit here and I look out at the audience, I want you to know that I am glad to be back here with you on this morning. And maybe I ought to take a week off every other week so we can come and praise like this every Sunday. <laughs> Today we gave God praise and, and we, we want to give thanks to uh, Brother Josh and the brothers and sisters for filling in last week. We was very short-handed last week as we had sisters away at the retreat. Uh, we had uh, a lot of the folks that worked the systems and, and all that stuff. They were out of, out of pocket. So uh, great job to you for keeping that going and in motion. Uh, we continue our series on this week uh, that is titled, The Bible Doesn't Say That. The Bible Doesn't Say That. And uh, with this series, we're looking at a lot of phrases that people think are scripture, but are not actually scripture. Amen. A lot of things that sound good in theory, but God just didn't inspire people to say in his word. And so we'll take a look at a couple of phrases throughout this uh, series that is roughly four or five weeks, and we'll examine what God truly has to say here in his word. Uh, we'll be coming from this Philippians. This, this morning we'll be coming from Philippians, but I want to share with you uh, a story that, that, that correlates with this message because today the, the phrase that we're examining is, is obedience always leads to financial blessings. Obedience always leads to financial blessings. If you have notes, that is the, the phrase or the, the saying or the belief that we'll be looking at today. Because a lot of people believe that if we are obedient to God, then that means that we ought to have money spewing out of our pockets and we ought to be rich. And people think sometimes that when they're poor, they think that God has left them. And so you have this attitude that, is, that creates a vulnerability towards individuals because guess what creeps in when we start to believe in things like that? If you believe that God only blesses you when you have money and he's not blessing, when, blessing you when you don't have money and being obedient means that you have money, then you may fall victim to something that is called prosperity gospel. Have y'all heard of prosperity gospel? 
It may not be known by that, which you've heard it before, but sometimes you have places, you go into these so-called houses of God, and they tell you that if you want God to love you, then you need to put money into the $100 offering, the $50 offering, the $20 offering, the $1 offering, and the change offering. And they say, if you didn't have your money today, then go ahead to the front and get money at the ATM. And God will bless you if you give more. And they're putting people into a poorhouse, having them believe that God only blesses us monetarily, that God only loves you if you have money in your pocket, and that's just something that is not true. I remember in my first year of marriage, myself and my wife, we had decided that we want to have children. We decided we want to bring life into this earth. And it was months in months of trying to have children, and we got very frustrated. And we began to get frustrated with ourselves. I'm saying, it must be my fault. She's saying, it's my fault. And then we look, and we're thinking about the situation, and you see people, and they go, and they go off and have children, not trying to have children. And it's so easy for it to happen. One time, and they got kids. And you see people who have children and they don't want to take care of their children. You see people who have children and they beat on their children. You see people that have children and they kill their children. And we were flat out frustrated. We're saying, God, why aren't you blessing us? We're married. We want to have children. We're going to raise them up in you. Why aren't you blessing us with what we're trying to see? It was frustrating. It was a frustrating time in my life. And what I realized later is, is that I was equating my situation to how much God loved me. My bad circumstance, I was thinking that God didn't love me. Because things weren't happening as soon as I wanted them to happen, I was thinking that God didn't love me. I was thinking that maybe I wasn't doing right. I was thinking that while I was, thought I was being obedient to God before, I was thinking maybe I, maybe I wasn't. And maybe God was trying to show me something so I could fix it. And it turns out that wasn't the case at all. We all in here have faced situations where we have questions about things that God allows to happen. We may be a new Christian, a new babe in Christ, fresh out of the water, We get baptized and our problems are still present after we've given our life to God. And we're asking God, what is going on? What am I doing wrong? I got baptized. Why do I still have problems? We may have spent the better portions of our lives in sin. Extreme opposition to God. I'm talking about we have spent our lives as bad people. And then we turn our lives around. We start to do good. We bring many people to God. We convert people to believe in Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden, God allows for us to have an incurable disease. The doctors tell us that we're going to be sick for the rest of our lives. and We won't have long to live. Why? Why? We may have been great Christian examples to our friends, our brothers and sisters. We may be good kids at school, listen to the teachers, help the teachers out when other kids are being unruly, and still, you fail your classes, and you ask yourself, why is this happening? 
Why would God allow an obedient follower to suffer? So today, we ask the question, is there any truth to obedience always leads to financial blessings? Does obedience always lead to financial blessings? We'll examine today in God's Word in the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Let's turn our Bible. If you have your Bible, say amen. Amen. It's a great place to bring a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's pew Bibles on the back of the seats. It's on page 576. 576. If you don't have one on this morning, it's on page 576. I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible on this morning. Did they all fit on one slide there? I'm going to read the the passage in its entirety. And the Bible reads, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I've learned to be content. Can we say content? In whatever circumstances I find myself, verse number 12 reads, I know both how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. I want you to look to your neighbor and tell him, be content. Whether well-fed or hungry, Whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Can we say all things? things. And what I want you to notice here is in verse number 10, Paul starts off, he's writing this letter to a church in Philippi, right? This city of Philippi uh, is is a pretty profound city. Uh, it, It was, Alexander the Great has a history there. Uh, he, when he took over the city, he, he renamed it after his father. Uh, it was once called Crenides. Uh, and this city established a church within its boundaries. And Paul here writes a letter to them. And I want you to understand as we read through the book of Philippians where Paul is. Right? Paul writes this letter, or an epistle as we know it would be called. He writes it to this church and he's encouraging them and he's trying to uplift them. But Paul is writing this letter from a prison. He's writing this letter from a prison. Usually when somebody's in prison and you got a prison ministry going on, you write letters to the person that's in jail, right? But Paul is in prison writing a letter to them. Change to the next slide right here. I want you to see what the prison would have looked like. So you have this, this structure here up top, and you would think that they would place the people in this top portion. But that's not the prison. Beneath this building here, beneath this building, there is a small place. More than likely, it would have been a cistern. That's a place where they hold the water. They would drop the people through this small hole, and then they would be bound up, sometimes shackled, inside of these small rooms. It would be cold. There was no AC and central heating. And Paul is in this dark place, writing... In the letter of an encouragement to the church at Philippi, 
Isn't that something? Paul is encouraging them to continue in Christ. Verse number 10 of Philippians 4, verse uh, chapter 4. What does the Bible read there? I rejoiced in the Lord. It says, I rejoiced in the Lord. Greatly. Greatly. Because once again. Because once again. You renewed your care. You renewed your care for me. You were in fact. Okay. Concerned about me, uh-huh. but lacked the opportunity to show it. Now, I need you to see this for a moment, that Paul, he starts off by giving God props. In the original language, this, this word where he talks about rejoicing in the Lord, it looks like the English word eulogy, right? And when you go to a funeral, people that give eulogies for the person laying in the cas- casket are supposed to speak well of them, right? How many of you have been to funerals where you go to a funeral and the person stands up in their suit? And they say, this person was no good, and they was filthy, right? That isn't how eulogies look, right? Eulogies are are opportunities for us to speak well of someone after they have gone. And this word right here, Paul is saying, I'm speaking well of God. He speaks well of God, and he's giving God his props because Paul is sitting here in prison because he's been talking about Jesus. He says, I rejoice in the Lord. Because once again, he says, you renewed your care for me. You remembered me again. Paul says, you didn't forget about me. I've came here and I helped you guys before. And you renewed, you made new again your care for me. You remember me while I'm sitting down here in this prison. He says, you were in fact what? Concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. Now, I need you to understand what's going on here. The church at Philippi was a pole church, right? Not poor. They were pole. Right? They couldn't, under, they couldn't afford to owe in the heart. They were a pole church. And here, here's, here's where we see this in. I want you to see this before we proceed. First, or 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. The Bible reads, we want you to know, brothers and sisters. This is another letter that Paul writes to a church at Corinth. He's talking about the churches of Macedonia. Now, this would have been talking about the places that are in Philippi. He says, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. Next verse. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy in their extreme, what? Poverty. Poverty. Overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Paul says that they were poor, but they were generous. They were poor, but they were generous. They helped out even though they didn't have much. Now, this ain't part of my lesson, but I want to drop this in right here because this is what happens in the church sometimes is that people are overly concerned with what the bank statement is saying and not what God is saying. Should we really be going and helping people out whenever we have this much in the bank? Yes. Because we walk by and not by sight. Don't be overly concerned about what's in the bank account. God's going to provide. But this church right here in Philippi, they were poor, and yet they still gave to Paul in his journey and what he was trying to do for the purposes of the kingdom. And so let's, let's go back here to verse number one. Verse, I mean, verse number 10, I'm sorry. Philippians chapter four, verse number 10. God here is providing something for Paul. Paul here has learned to understand the providence of God. 
Have we heard of that word before? Raise your hand if you've heard of providence before. Have you heard of providence? Let me explain it to you a bit. Providence comes from a Latin word, which means to know something before it happens. God knows what's going to happen at the end before you've gotten there. Because God stands outside of our time. God stands outside of our existence. And so God, in essence, is standing in the past before your problem started, in the present where your problem is, and he's also standing where your problem is fixed, all at the same time. Does that make sense? And so what God does, God orders the steps of man. And we may not always understand where God is leading us, but trust and believe that if you're a child of God, God already knows how your story ends. Do y'all remember Joseph? Do y'all remember Joseph in his coat of many colors and his father showing favoritism for him? Do you remember that Joseph, whenever he had that dream about uh, his brothers bowing down to them, and he went to them and said, hey, guess what? One day, all of y'all are going to bow down to me. And do you remember how upset his brothers got? They got so mad at Joseph, they said, we're going to kill him. Do you remember how God touched the heart of one of his brothers and said, let's not kill him, but let's sell him into slavery. And they threw him into a pit, and he was sold into slavery. Do y'all remember that? Joseph went into slavery in the place that one day he would serve as second in command. Do you remember that he went into the house of Potiphar? And do you remember that Potiphar's wife, she was so infatuated with him that she grabbed onto his clothes as he tried to run off and he ran out the house naked? Do y'all remember that? Do you remember that Joseph was in prison and he was interpreting dreams and then the people that were in there asked to interpret dreams and he got someone out of prison and they forgot about him? And he remained in the prison and he was suffering in the prison. Do y'all remember that? That was some bad situations. And what did Joseph do so wrong to deserve to be in prison, to be sold into slavery, to be betrayed by his own family? Do you remember how when Joseph was the second man in command that God gave Pharaoh a dream? And Joseph was able to interpret that dream. Something he figured out whenever he was in his trials and tribulation. Do you remember how when his brothers came back to him? Because it wasn't just Egypt that was suffering at the time, but the place in which he dwelt before was suffering too. And they had seven years of plenty and now they were in seven years of famine. And with Joseph being second in command, It wasn't the case that his brothers were bowing down to him because he was lording over them. He was now in a position to serve them. And so his suffering made sense at the end. And what we need to understand is, is that when you're going through your trials and tribulations, your suffering is not going to make sense in the middle of your suffering. Looking at Genesis 45, verse number five, the Bible reads, this is what Joseph said to his brothers. And now don't be grieved or angry. He says, don't be grieved or angry with yourselves uh-huh. for selling me here. For selling me here. Uh-huh. Because God sent me ahead of you. What did he say? God life. did what? 
God sent me ahead he of says, you. He says, God sent me ahead of you to, preserve, to life. preserve your life. I wasn't sent here to be a king over you, but I was sent here to save your life. And what you need to understand is that when you are in your trials, when you are in your tribulations, God is preparing you to make it out on the other side to serve others. It isn't to bring you down. It's not to bring you down and make you less than. But it's to strengthen you. It's to open your eyes so that you can show others the way. Joseph, again, he continues on in Genesis chapter 50, verse number two. He says something else. He commands his servants who are physicians to... Verse number uh, 20, right? Read verse number 20. You had the wrong one up there. Verse number 20. Genesis 50, verse number 20. Joseph, as he stands there before his brothers, and they have come, and he explains to them again what God has done throughout his life of suffering and pain and being abandoned by his family. Genesis chapter 50, verse number 20, the Bible reads what? But as for you, but as for you, you meant evil against me. He says, you meant evil against me but god but god meant it for good meant it for good in order to bring it about in order to bring it about as it is this day as it is this day to save many people to alive to save many people alive i need you to understand that even whenever the situations that exist in your life are created by people and you think god why are you allowing these people to succeed against me in evil Whenever I'm being obedient, why are you allowing someone who's evil to plot and be successful in these evil things against me? You need to understand that God is going to bring you out on top in the end. Does that make sense? And so we go back to Philippians chapter 4. Click on the slide there. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 11. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 11. I don't. Say this out of need. Paul here, he expresses this and he says, I'm happy. Paul's right there, Brother Arnold. Paul here has already said that I'm happy that you remembered me. I'm happy that you renewed your care for me. He says, I remember how you cared for me before and now you're caring for me again. And he's saying that I'm giving God props and I'm giving God praise and I'm speaking well of God, but it's not because of your care for me. He says, I don't say this out of need because even though I sit here in a prison, I don't need what you've given to me. What does he say there, brother? I want to keep reading. For I have learned to be content. He says, I have learned how to be content in whatever circumstance in whatever circumstance I find myself. I find myself. Paul lets them know I have learned contentment. Contentment is a learned thing. Contentment isn't something to where I can give you the definition of the word and you're going to automatically have it within yourself. Contentment is being happy with what one has. Contentment doesn't happen for me just telling you what is defined as being. That means that God is going to have to give you a lot and you learn how to be content with that. Contentment means God is going to give you a little and you learn how to be content with that. You have a lot of money in your pocket, learn how to be content with that. You have no money in your pocket, learn how to be content with that. You're not getting enough love for your husband or wife, learn how to be content with that. You're getting too much love from your husband or wife, learn how to be content with that. You don't have enough food in your refrigerator. Learn how to be content with that. You have too much food in your refrigerator. Learn how to be content with that. Because I want you to understand this. If you don't pass the test this time, 
You're going to have to take it again. Go back to that verse. He says, I don't say this out of need. He said, I learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself in. It's not something that just happens. You can't download contentment into your brain. It's not an app that you put on your phone. Contentment is something that you must experience. It is a learned thing. As we continue on, verse number 12. I know both how to make do with little, Mm -hmm. and I know how to make do with a lot. Paul here says, I know how to make do with a little. Now, now this is something, it's contrary to what we as Americans believe in. We all have heard of the American dream, right? You heard of the American dream? Everybody has the right to have love handles and happy meals. Something like that, right? It's a hard thing to accept as a Christian in America to be content. We have access to so much. We live in a microwave culture to where everything is instant, right? You can have a meal in less than a minute. It used to take hours. You can lose weight in two hours if you have enough money. I remember the movie Jurassic Park. There's a scientist on there. And he sees the animals causing havoc. And he tells the scientist, you were so preoccupied with whether or not you could, you didn't stop to think if you should. Sometimes, we live in America, and we have access to many different things. If you want to be something, you can be it. In a lot of countries, you're going to be what they tell you to be when you're born. You're going to marry who you're supposed to marry when you're born. But with all of our freedoms here in this country, sometimes we get in trouble. And we don't stop to think, even though I can access working 60 hours a week, We need to stop and say, should I be working 60 hours a week? I can have five different degrees. Should I have five different degrees? I can have a $200,000 house. My credit says that I can. Should you have a $200,000 house? Contentment is something that we have to learn because what do we do? We want to keep up with the Joneses, right? Well, he has a Cadillac. I can get a Cadillac too. Brother Chris, he riding clean in that Mercury Grand Marquis. I can have. (laughs) But should we? Just because we can doesn't mean that we should, right? We have to learn contentment. Verse number 12, start that again. 
chapter 4, verse number 12. I know both how to make with little. Paul says, I know both how to make do with little. And I know how to make do with a lot. And I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, Uh I have learned the secret of being content. Uh Whether well-fed or hungry. Whether in abundance or in need. Paul here has said, I have experienced both. Being with a lot and having very little. And if you want what Paul has, don't be opposed to the little. We often don't appreciate the warmth of summer until we have experienced the cold of winter. And we don't appreciate the cold of winter until we have experienced the warmth of summer. Don't be opposed to going through tough times in your life because they teach you something. And I know that it's easy to hold on to the bad things that happen to us because those things stick out more than the good things. What happens is, is that when we have good times in our lives, we don't take note of them because we're too busy enjoying them. But when the hard times come, God, why me? Why me? Shake our fists at the sky as we suffer. He says, I have learned the secret of being content. And here in the original language, what we see with this word here where he says, I've learned the secret. Paul here, he speaks this word and it's as if he's saying he's learned something that has been hidden from everybody. He says, I I found the thing that used to be hidden, but it's uncovered. And he says, now I want you to lean in close as I tell you the secret. Lean in close as I tell you the secret. Y'all ever have somebody that got some juicy gossip and you want to know about it? And you've been waiting to hear about this thing that they're about to tell you about. And you lean in physically as if that's going to make you hear better. Paul says, lean in close. I have a secret to share with you. He says, I have learned the secret of being content. He says, whether I'm well fed, whether I'm hungry, whether I have abundance or whether I'm in need. Here's the secret. Verse number 13. I am able to do all things he through says, him. He says, I am able to do all things. To do all things through him. Through who, him. Who strengthens me. Now, Paul here says, I am self-sufficient. If you just look at that beginning part, he says, I am able. I can do. Right? Well, you literally look at the Greek. He says, I am able. And some of us right now, we have that attitude. I'm going through something in my life I'm going to handle because my mama used to handle. She raised 15 kids by herself. She was mama and daddy, and I can do that too. But Paul doesn't stop his statement there. Paul says, I am able to do all things. And whenever he expresses all things, he's saying all things in its entirety. There is nothing that I can't do. Right? And some of us share that sentiment. But he goes further and he says, I am able to do all things through him. I am able to do all things through him, whether or not I have money enough to pay my water bill. And I got to fill up some buckets before they come turn it off. I'm able to do all things through him. When my marriage is failing. And me and my wife, me and my husband have not gotten along in months. I'm able to do all things through him. When I don't have ride to get back and forth to work and I have to walk in the Texas heat, 
I'm able to do all things through him. When I can't forgive my brothers and sisters because they've done me wrong over and over and over and over and over again, I can't do it. But I can through him. All of these situations that look like they're impossible. Think about the things that have been impossible in your life. Think about it for a moment. Think about the times when you knew that you were done for. I can't make it through this. I can't lose this job right now. I have children. What are they going to do? How are they going to be fed? How am I going to keep the lights on? How am I going to continue in this loveless marriage? And then God comes through. Not you, but God. I'm talking about those moments where you knew that you had nothing to do with what happened after your problems. Have you been there this morning? Where you knew without a shadow of a doubt that you couldn't have fixed your situation. But through Christ, you were able to do it. Sometimes you see people, I see Steph Curry, he puts the scripture on his shoes. This has nothing to do with shooting a basketball. This has nothing to do with running fast. This has everything to do with God and him enabling us to do all things. Not just physical things, but mental things, spiritual things. And he says that he's able to do it through Christ because Christ strengthens him. Now, there's something about strength. As I, as I look back at Deshaun back here with his biceps uh, breaking through his shirt, there's something about strength. You don't just get muscles, right? Muscles don't just happen. You got to work out. You got to be in the gym. You can't be strengthened through Christ if you're not working in him. If you're not in God's word, you're not going to be strengthened. If you're not studying God's word, you're not going to be strengthened. If you're not doing things God's way, you won't be strengthened in him. And sometimes we have this back and forth between the leadership here and members here who say, you know what? I can do it by myself. I don't need to come to church. I don't need to come to Bible class. I don't need to study my Sunday school lesson. And you can't do it that way. You can't. Christianity is a community effort. It's not something that you can do by yourself. And if you choose to separate yourself from brothers and sisters, you are choosing to die alone. And that's the truth of the matter. But Paul here sits in a prison, in a hole in the ground. In reality, it's just a hole in the ground. And he's encouraging these people. He says, I'm glad that you thought about me. I'm glad that you sent me what you sent me. But I'm content regardless. And he's not telling them this to say, I don't need you. He's letting them know, you need to get to where I am right now. Because where I am is with God. What Paul learns here from his suffering, from his afflictions is, 
is that God is not as overly concerned about this world as we are. God is not a hurtful or harmful God for taking away earthly things because God does not want us to stay here on this earth. As Christians, our citizenship should be in heaven. We're not here to see if we can get a mansion, to see if we can get a fancy car, to see how much money we can put in the bank. We're here for God's purposes. We're here to do God's will and bring others into that fellowship with God and show them that God wants to be in relationship with them. It's simple. If you really think about it, it's it's simple. God doesn't want us here. He wants us with him. He wants us to share that message so that everybody can be with him. I could have said that in three seconds, right? But I had to go through the scripture. All right. So as we look at this, as we look at this, Paul understood through experience that it's possible to suffer and excel while being obedient to God. He found comfort in this because he was comfortable in who knew the outcome. Obedience always leads to financial blessings? No. The Bible does not teach that message. When you know that you are an obedient child of God and you find your circumstances less than favorable, understand that Jesus will enable you to pull through. When you know that you are an obedient child of God and you find your circumstances more than favorable, understand that Jesus will enable you to handle the excess faithfully. Do not lose sight of the fact that all things work together for the good of those who love God. No matter what, be content with the providence of God. We have to learn to be content with what God has for us in the end. We're not going to always understand suffering in the middle of suffering. We won't understand suffering at the beginning of suffering. But understand that God stands in all of those places at the same time. and He's standing at your end, waiting for you to see what he's been doing. It is possible to be obedient and suffer. That's that's one thing I want you to understand. Number two, it is possible to be obedient and prosper. You can be obedient to God and prosper. Rich people, just because you're rich doesn't mean that you're going to hell. It is possible to have excess and be obedient to God at the same time. Next, learn contentment with the providence of God. What if, as a community... What if we showed Avenue G, the street that has people walking up and down all times of night, people who are addicted to drugs, people who rely on feed my sheep to eat three meals a day? What if we showed them and modeled for them contentment in the providence of God? What if we showed them how to be content no matter what was going on? What would happen to this community? What would happen if this church, if we were content instead of grabbing for all these new things all the time? What would happen if we showed the world contentment? What if we showed the world, you know what? I don't have to outspend you with my credit cards and create outrageous debt. My kids don't have to have the latest Xbox and PS4. 
I don't have to have the cleanest J's. I don't have to spend a thousand dollars on my hair. <laughs> what if we were content? What if we showed the world what contentment looked like? What if lying in a bed, dying of a fatal and incurable disease, we spoke about how God is faithful, about how God is standing at the end, waiting for your solution. Sometimes we think that death is God forgetting about us, but sometimes death releases us from what we've been struggling for. I look at the members here, and, and I see people that are struggling physically with ailments. Sister Ruthie, Sister Lee, Sister Debbie. There's people coming to this building physically hurting. Physically hurting. And some of us can see this. We see them as they wince when they stand up. We see them as they rub. Ask these people, has God left them? And we ought not be afraid to witness the people. We ought not be afraid to witness the people. If God has brought you out of something, if you're in the middle of something and you're being faithful to God, don't keep that a secret. Obedience to God does not mean that all things are always going to go well. Sometimes you're going to have to suffer. Sometimes you're going to have plenty. That's the gist of it. If you're not a Christian this morning, I need you to understand that you live beneath your privilege. God has something special for you. God wants you to be a part of this family. God wants you to spend an eternity with him. But what needs to happen is, is that you must hear about his good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ came down from heaven in the form of a human being, and he died for our sins. And he didn't stay dead, right? He rose up from the dead, and, and that's good news for everybody, because since Jesus rose from the dead in his obedience to God, and he died for our sins, that means that we too one day will get up. But you have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You have to believe in the good news. You must repent of your sins. You must say, I know that how I've been living isn't the right way. I don't want to live that way anymore. Commit your life to living for God. Repentance is a change of heart. That means you change your mind about what you're doing. You have to then confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It cost Jesus his life when he did that. It's going to cost you yours. And what that means is you have to die to self. And some of you may be thinking in your minds right now, I don't want to die to myself. I like who I am. But I want you to understand that if you die to self, God will resurrect you and make you into something new and better. And finally, you must be baptized for the remission of your sins. When you're baptized for the remission of your sins, you go down into the water. You baptize everything that you've done in your past. God no longer holds you accountable for. Think about this. If you were speeding down Avenue G, you got pulled over for going 80 and whatever speed this street is right here. You have to go talk to a judge. God says, I know that you were guilty, and I'm not going to hold you accountable for it. That's what baptism does. It washes it all away, and God does not hold you accountable for it. 
If you want to be baptized this morning, if you want to ask for prayers, for strength in whatever area you stand in need of, I invite you to come forward as we sing the song of encouragement. Um.